I'm honored by the presence of every pastor and every preacher and every evangelist that's present. And I'm honored by every Christian that is with us tonight. And I'm honored if there is a lost man or a lost woman that came, I'm honored by having you to come to hear me. You know, really, I tell you, I love North Carolina. You're my kind of people. I was born right down here in South Carolina. I almost made it up to North Carolina. I just born south of here. Uh, but you, you know, you remind me of the, when I was pastor of the First Baptist Church in Fort Smith, Arkansas. I was invited down to Little Rock, Arkansas, where our mental institution is, Brother Dexter. And they invited us down there for what they call Religious Emphasis Week. I never have quite figured out what that was, but that's what they called it. Religious Emphasis Week. They invited a Presbyterian preacher, a Methodist bishop, and me. And the way they had it worked out, I preached at 10 o'clock on Monday morning. Then on Tuesday, I preached at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Wednesday, I preached at 7 o'clock that night. And I just happened to rotate out on Saturday afternoon with a 3 o'clock service. That was my last service. And when I brought the last message, about 13, 14, or 15 of the men inmates motioned me to come over where they were. And I walked over and the spokesman of the group said, Brother Smith, you know what? And I said, know what? He said, we liked you better than we did that Presbyterian preacher. He said, we liked you better than we did that Methodist bishop. And I wanted to be as humble about it as I could be. And I said, well, God bless you, brethren. I said, what was it about my preaching that you liked better than you did the Presbyterian brother? Or the Methodist bishop? He said, oh, oh, oh. Wasn't nothing about your preaching. He said, you just seem more like one of us. I tell you, when I get up here in North Carolina, especially around Kannapolis and Landis, Salisbury and all this area, I tell you, I just feel like one of them. <laughs> now, Brother Dexter, you know I've been in meetings many, many times, but I've never been treated more royally by anybody than I have by you, dear people. I've had biscuits to take home with me every night. And I just sat out there last night and crumbled my cornbread. Chopped up my onions, crumbled my cornbread in that bowl, poured me some sweet milk on them on that, and while most of y'all were asleep, I've enjoyed cornbread, sweet milk, and onions. You, you, you say, brother, can you eat that kind of a diet at eleven o'clock at night, sleep like a baby? I can just eat anything that don't eat me first. I said the other night, just one thing, I hesitate to eat a little bit, just a little bit. Brother children, that's jello. I just hate to eat anything that's more nervous than I am. But I appreciate, brother and sister Childers, today taking us out to lunch, along with the pastor and his lovely wife. We had a good time. I enjoyed riding in that North Carolina patrol car. Before I left home, if somebody said, before you come by, back, you're going to get a ride, 
in a North Carolina state trooper's car, I doubt if I'd have come. I want to tell you, when they catch me, you've never met a man in your life like that. If you ever catch me for speeding, brother, you've never met as humble a man as you don't meet. I get out, I just keep my head down. I just say two words, yes sir and no sir. That's all. An officer caught me in Mississippi. The speed limit at that time was 65 miles an hour, and I was going 95. They, they didn't have radar, and I was driving a brand new Imperial. It had 500 miles on it. And you know down there in Mississippi how they got all those little cut places back in, the, in, in them big sand banks? And out of the corner of my eye, I saw him when I went by. I have never known a car to coast like that one did. I only tell you, every time I see a trooper, there's some muscle in my leg right here that reacts and that foot just comes up. Just automatically. I, I, I'd be driving exactly on 55 miles an hour and it still happens. And that foot came up and my wife said, what's the matter? I said, there's a trooper right back there in that blind spot. She looked back, she said, sure is, he's coming out. By the time he could get out and clock me, I'd slowed down to 70 miles, about 75. So he got me. He said to me, I see your driver's license. I said, yes, sir. He said, J. Harold Smith. He said, are you a preacher? I said, yes, sir. No, man, come head down. Yes, sir. He said, are you a radio preacher? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He said, you know, my mother, she listened to you every day on the radio. Said she's all the time talking to me about J. Harold Smith. If my mother thinks you're the greatest preacher in all the world, I said, officer, please, would you not tell her you taught me to speak? He said, preacher, I really hate to write this ticket. Give you a ticket? I said, you don't know the half of it. I said, I hate to receive it. He said, I tell you what, if you'll give me any scripture in the Bible that would justify you going as fast as you were going, he said, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to write you a ticket of warning. I said, how much do they cost? He said, it just means the next time they catch you, they'll double it. I said, don't have to pay nothing now? He said, that's right. I said, Lord, if you ever help the Baptist preacher, help this just like that, brother, the scripture came out of my mind. The work of the Lord requireth haste. <laughs> he said, Peter, go on. But he said, I'm going to wire ahead. And said, if you get over 60 miles an hour, he said, I'm going to ask them to double your fine. I said, you just watch me. I got in, walked up to the car, and I said to my wife, Murdis, get over here and drive. <laughs> and I didn't catch that steering wheel until I got out of Mississippi. I want you to know that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you, you, you know, 
When I get caught for speeding, I got first busted. CB. My wife said she hadn't been able to listen to the radio since I bought that junk. She said, if you were a law-abiding citizen, we wouldn't have all this stuff here in this park. I said, I, I don't have it in here for my own good. I just have it in here to warn those others. She said, that's worse. That you are helping to break the law. She just about got me convinced. And now I never get over that 55 mile an hour unless the work of the Lord requires haste. We would like to have all of you fine preachers, this dear brother from Albemarle, all you other fine preachers, but I'm delighted tonight to have a dear friend who's been a friend of mine for years, Brother Dexter Crouch. Between the two of us, we have been preaching 97 years. I've been preaching 50, he's been preaching 47. I guess Brother Crouch knows as much about me as anybody in this house, maybe more, ten times more. And I love him. He's a dear preacher of the gospel. As far as I know, he's never compromised the truth. Sweet of spirit. And I want him to come. Before I bring the message tonight, Brother Crouch, I want you to lead us in a moment of prayer. Would you come up to the mic? And lead us in a moment of prayer before I bring the message tonight. For the next crouch. Shall we pray? Father, this is the time and the hour that thy servant will open the book and out of it preach thy word. And I pray thee Anoint him afresh and anew for this hour. Not for the glory of any man, the glory of any church, but only thy name to be glorified and honored. We thank thee, Father, for the memory of every hour and every day that we spent together. We thank thee, Father, for his testimony. Not only of his testimony, of his of himself, but of murders and the children. Pray, dear God, that you'll be with them there in Orlando. Every trustee, every worker. Dear God, we need the gospel preached in this day and time. I thank thee, dear God, for this man, for his testimony, for his witness, for his Stand to be steadfast, abounding, overflowing with the love of God. Father, I know this to be true, but you know it more than I do. Because you saved him, you redeemed him, you cleansed him, you chose him, you sent him out. And Father, we pray for Brother Harrison and the work here at New Hope. And for this church, for the leaders of this church. For every pastor that's here, dear God, I pray that you will lead them and guide them and direct them. And Father, I pray that you'll 
help every pastor's wife to be the kind of woman that she ought to be. Because this is a day and an hour when it's trials and testings for those dear people, for those dear women. We know what they have to go through with. I know what my wife has had to face. Brother Harold's, each of them, we thank me for them. We thank me for the testimony. We thank me for the life, for the sacrifice. Oh, Spirit of the living God, move mightily upon this congregation tonight and deliver souls for time and eternity. We ask in Christ's name, the name of our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Tonight, if you'd like to read this scripture lesson, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And we're going to be now reading tonight the verse 37 of this wonderful and marvelous portion of the Word of God. Matthew chapter 24, verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now you remember that I announced you that the good Lord willing tonight to be speaking to you upon the theme, as the days of Noah were, so shall the days be in the coming of our wonderful Lord. Or as it was, so shall it be. Are the days of Noah. When I finish this message tonight, not a one of you in this house may believe I did it what I preached. But I want every last one of you to know that after 50 years of studying the Word of God, after traveling around the world, and making one trip especially for one purpose, and that was to go to the site where the Bible predicts certain things had to take place before the coming of the Lord. And after one time in my lifetime reading every word that is in the 66 books of the Bible, down on my knees, not that the position of the body counts, but I want to humble myself before the Lord. And in my study, and in my motel room, with a Bible down on the floor, and me bowed on my knees, I read every single word with a red pen in my hand, ready to mark everything in the Bible that had to be fulfilled before the coming of the Lord. And after I'd finished all 66 books, every word, every verse, every phrase, I had not put one mark, not one mark, in those 66 books. I believe that the next thing on the calendar of God is the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ for His church. I believe that. And when I say the appearing for His church, I mean the rapture. Now the word rapture is not mentioned in the Bible. That word is not there. Actually, if you were going to go to the Greek, it would be the snatch. One of these days, suddenly, like a thief in the night, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be snatched out of this world. Husbands are going to be caught up and wives are going to be left. Wives are going to be caught up and husbands are going to be left. 
children are going to be caught up and parents are going to be left. Parents are going to be caught up and children are going to be left. I believe that that could take place before we leave this service tonight. Nothing, nothing is keeping the Lord from coming. Now you say, Brother Harold, are you going to say that he's coming tonight? Or in the morning? Or tomorrow night? No. Because that great secret is kept in the heart and mind of God himself. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, No man knoweth the day nor the hour. But when you see these things coming to pass, you can know that the coming of the Son of Man is not. I've had three children born into my family, my immediate family. One daughter and two sons. From the very moment that we knew that we were going to have a child in our house, my wife and I sat down and we figured out to the very day, especially the very month, and then the very day that we thought that our child would be born. And I knew for nine months there was going to be addition to my family. And I tell you, as month after month passed, I knew that the time of my wife's delivery was drawing nearer and nearer and nearer. And if somebody had said to me, Brother Harold, are you expecting a baby? I'd have said, yes, my wife and I are expecting an addition to our family. When do you expect that addition? We're looking for our daughter on March 2nd. She was born March 3rd. Then I tell you, that came another day and we had a son born. Somebody said, what are you expecting? And we said, we're expecting it. On November the 17th. And he came that morning. We had another child. And they said, when do you expect it? And we gave the day. He was two or three days early. But averaging it all up, we were hitting it pretty close. But that was from what medical knowledge we had. But I tell you, the Lord gave us these signs. He said, when you see these things begin to come to pass, lift up your eyes. Because your redemption draweth not. There are just three attitudes in this world for the second coming of the Lord. Just three. There are those in this world that are denied. There are those that think they are delayed. And then there are those that desire it. And I tell you, that's the group in which I abide. I have never denied the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have never asked him to delay his coming. But I tell you, the word of God says to pray, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, and come quickly. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house of many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will 
come again and receive you unto my sepulchre where I am, there you may be also. I tell you, my friends, that will be at the rapture. That will be the moment that I tell you when the Lord is coming again. He's coming, and the thing that a lot of people don't understand is that his coming is to be divided into two comings. First of all, he is to come in the rapture. And then there is to be a period of approximately seven years when we will be with the Lord in the air at the beam of judgment and at the marriage and at the marriage supper. While down here on this earth, the most awful hour of tribulation that you can ever imagine. I believe that as soon as the rapture takes place, a man will appear. I believe that that man will be the man of sin. I do not believe that any man will know who he is and he will not be revealed and we are caught up until we are raptured out. And then almost immediately, brother, maybe the next day or the next hour, he'll come on the scene. How long does it take to get to a queen with a man that you never heard of before? How long did it take the world to get acquainted with Hinckley? We saw our president's brother shot down like an animal. We saw four other men fall. And yet our courts and our juries and our laws are such that that man can be free in six months to shoot somebody else. I want to stand here to say to you as sure as there is a God in glory, that man's name is known all over the civilized world. When I realized that the Antichrist could be revealed, get on television, on radio, and he'll have the answer, brother, to solve the problem between the Jew and the Arab, between the white man and the Negro, he'll have the problem, brother, I tell you, to get all strikes ended and all peace made between every employer and employee. And, brother, when he comes on the scene with his program, the whole world will go after him. And the Bible declares that for the next 42 months, or for the next 1,260 days, or for the next 30 or 3, or for the next times, times and a half a time, for the next three and a half years, there will be the greatest time of prosperity on this earth that this world has ever known. There will be no such thing as unemployment. All of the saints are gone, and brother, I tell you, there'll be all of those vacant jobs to open for. All of you saints and tightwads and skin flints and nickel nippers and pretty pictures that are robbing God and burying your money and putting it in banks and other places, I tell you, you'll leave it all, and your ungodly relatives, brother, are going to claim it, and what a time they're going to have spending your money. And they're going to have the time of their life. But then, brother, I believe this, and I never heard another preacher preach it, not one. But I believe with all of my heart that during that three and a half years, I believe that on the site where the mosque of Omar now stands in Jerusalem, I believe in the first earthquake, I believe in the first earthquake under the great tribulation period, I believe that will be shaken down. 
I know that it will be destroyed. Not, I, and I believe it will have to be destroyed by an act of God because if the Jews were to destroy all of the Arab nations in such a holy place to them, I mean, all of the Arab nations would, would rise up in rebellion. But if God destroyed it with a tornado or with an earthquake, and right under it is a fault, I tell you, if God were to do that, then whether they're going to build back on that spot, there's the temple. And I believe that during that first three and a half years, the Jews are going to be build back their temple. You say, Brother Hell, can they do it? With all of our modern technology, with all of our modern equipment, they can build back the temple. And, and, and I believe at the end of the first 42 months, or the first 1,260 days, I believe that those Jews are going to go into the Holy of... I mean, they're going to go into the temple to dedicate it. And while they're there, dedicating that temple, is going to walk the Antichrist with his tenure, his associates. He's going to walk into the Holy of Holies and set himself up as God and demand that the whole world worship him. And that's what is known as the abomination of desolation, desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel. Then you talk about hell. How many of you have my take on hell on earth? The tribulation. Do any of you have that take? Raise your hand. You folks don't know what you're missing. I'm not going to try to go into that. That's a completely different thought. God's going to roll back the heavens like a scroll. Laugh at the calamity that's going to come upon this earth. The Bible says that such tribulation as this world has ever known is to be placed not on the church. It's to fall upon up the apostate church. It is to fall upon the godless nations, upon unbelieving Israel. Those three. How would you like to go home tonight and switch on the light? Or how some of you men, brother, like to go home and drive your car up in the carport? Your wife, you let her out at the front door, your children, and brother, you drive back up to the house? And you see something coming across the yard, looks like a horse. Size, he's shaped like a horse. But have long hair like a woman. Come in the light of the porch, and brother, I tell you, you see it's got a face like a man. Got teeth like a lion. And the Bible says it has a head in the tail, and in that tail is a stinger, and the sting is the sting of a scorpion. And for five months, they're going to walk up and down the Salisbury, Canapolis, Landis area. You say, if that ever happens and I'm alive, I'll commit suicide. God took care of you. He said, men will seek to die and death will flee from them. He said, I'll get out my old 30 six and I'll lay it on them. But I tell you, the ammunition won't fire. Just as soon as they're gone, then that same pit's going to open up. And out of the great smoke that's going to come up out of that pit are going to be 200 million creatures. And they too are shaped like a horse. But they have a head like a lion. 
And they have a writer upon them. And they're led by a great leader. And out of their mouth is going to issue three things. Fire, smoke, and brimstone. And the Bible tells us, but I tell you, the great first plague, one-fourth of the populated areas of the world die. So that means, but I tell you, that one billion has already died. And that leaves three billion people, and one-third of them is going to be killed. That's another billion that's going to die. So half of the population of the earth are eliminated with these two great plagues. By the fire, by the smoke, and by the brimstone, a billion people are going to die. Now, I want to tell you, thank you, sir, I don't want to be in that time. The second coming of the Lord is the blessed hope. We're going to be delivered from that hour. Before I get into the main message, I just want to say this, that if the coming and the, and the preaching of the second coming of the Lord brings fear in your heart, there's one or two things. You're either lost and never been saved, or second, you're living in a backslidden condition and you've got unconfessed sin in your heart, and as a result of it, you're afraid for the Lord to come. I believe the Bible teaches a total rapture. I do not believe that there will be a partial rapture. That means that the spiritual Christian is going to be caught up and the carnal Christian is going to be caught up. If you are a born-again believer tonight, you're going to be caught up in the rapture. But the Bible says that the spiritual man will meet him with a shout, while you that are carnal will meet him with shame. So now tonight, how are we going to meet him? With a shout or with shame? If you had to meet the Lord tonight, would you have to meet him with a shout? Or would you meet him with shame? You're not going to have time to apologize to your wife, brother. You better get that all straightened out now. You may not have time to apologize to your husband for the way you treated him. You better do that now. You may not have time, brother, to apologize for the way you treated your children and the way your children treated your parents. You better get it done now. I tell you, you won't have time to settle up your bad debts. I tell you, you better get it done now. You know, it's not a disgrace not to pay your bills, but I tell you, it is a disgrace to deny them and to dodge them. I tell you, it is a disgrace, but I tell you, to not pay them, and all the time you're telling the man you owe, you can't pay him, you're blowing cigarette smoke in his face. Or sitting stuff juice on his shoes. I said, if I couldn't pay my bills, I wouldn't let the paper boy throw me a paper every morning. I'd never drink another Coca-Cola, brother, till I got it paid. I'd do about everything that I could possibly do about till I got my bill paid. You're welcome. <laughs> How many of you here for the first time tonight raise your hand away up high? How many of you have been here one night before, just one? Now, I want to tell you, if we can get everybody that's been here to this meeting, one thing I can say, but what, what town is this? Rowan? When I leave here, I can say I preached about the majority of Rowan. It came one night. You know, I shook them out as fast as they come in. 
But there's nobody in the world I got best respect for, and I got reason for these little tweedle dee, tweedle dum, pussy putting compromise and whitewashing, backstretching, ear tickering, soap soaping preachers that won't preach. And if there has ever been an hour, and if there's ever been a time when God's men need to preach, that the coming of the Lord is at hand. We're living in a strange hour. Wars, assassinations, conference failures, flights into space, mobs, outbreaking, overthrowing of governments, strikes, storms, pestilences. A new disease, a new venereal disease is breaking out and now it's reaching tremendous, alarming proportions called herpes. No cure for it. Absolutely no cure. And I believe that I know where it came from. It developed in the homosexuals. It's a curse of God on this nation. Earthquakes. Famine. The earth reeling to and fro, the Bible says, like a drunken man. In Timothy, the Bible says that in the end of this age, there will be a departure from the faith. Do I need to argue that point? There will be disobedient to parents. There will be despisers of good. There's some of you sitting right here under the sound of my voice. You despise good people. You know, the reason you hate them is because you got a devil in you. Not only is there the departure from the faith and disobedient to parents and despisers of those in the good, but there is a devotion to pleasure. There is a denial of the power of God. There is a dispersion among the nations of the earth and confusion such as we have never known in the history of mankind. And then there is a downtrodden Jew returning to Palestine. All of these, God says, are indicative of the second coming of the Lord. But, as it was, so shall it be. What were they doing? The Bible says, they were eating and drinking. Have you ever known a time when people go by eating and drinking like they are now? I did that. I was brought up in a home, brother, where we had breakfast and lunch. I mean, breakfast and dinner and supper. Three meals. You better be there or you missed out. Because generally there wasn't much left. But now what do we have? We get up in the morning, have a little cup of coffee, but I tell you so immediately, and then you can look down through the coffee and see in the bottom of the cup made in Japan. Enriched toast. Then by nine o'clock you gotta have a coffee break. You go out by the tell you get you a Coke and a BC. Then about eleven o'clock, brother, you have your lunch period. Your wife's got you some sandwiches made out of spam. That's the nearest nothing that's ever been made this side of heaven. 
And you come home from a hard day's work, but I tell you why, your wife, she's loafed around, looked at the soap operas, and got you a TV dinner. I never have believed in beating wives, but that'd be a pretty good reason. Then I tell you, turn on the TV set. Now on the coffee table, brother, you got a little bean dip. And some fritos. And you sit there and dip and eat and dip and eat. And about 11 o'clock, you go after the news, you go to bed and you don't do a thing else for the rest of the night on a burp. Then you wonder why it is you got ulcers, cancers of the stomach, and all of these diseases that we are finding today is simply because, I tell you, we have absolutely gone back to what they were in the days of Noah, eating, drinking. When I was brought up, brother, we generally had <laughs> coffee for breakfast, and brother, I tell you, water, adequate, my mother called it Adam's Ale. Then when we got where we could buy a cow, we had sweet milk and buttermilk. But now then, have you ever known a time when there's so many things to drink? Every kind of a beer you can mention under high heaven? Every kind of a pop and a coke that you can imagine? Orange juice, grapefruit juice, tomato juice, carrot juice, spinach juice. Oh my goodness. But we're eating, and we're drinking. And the Bible says, marrying and giving in marriage. Why well, can remember, brother, when we, back in my day, when, the, when he got my dad, for example, brother, gave my mother an engagement ring, and I said, it covered that whole first joint. Is that why? But now you can order from Del Rio, Texas, at CRF, in order an engagement ring and the wedding band for two ninety eight. Both of them. Ain't no use to spend any more because, brother, I tell you, you get married on Sunday, you fuss on Monday, you fight on Tuesday, I tell you, you cuss out each other, brother, I tell you, on Wednesday, and brother, I tell you, you're so mad, brother, I tell you, she's packing up on Thursday, and by Friday, brother, I tell you, she's calling the mama after she come back, and Saturday, she's on the bus headed for home. You know, what did old Adam have to give up, but I tell you when he got in? Somebody's help. A what? A rib. My wife said, God put him to sleep. Put Adam to sleep, took out his brain. And made a woman. <laughs> but God took out a rib. Now, I always have believed that if God ever thought, brother, the man needed two women, he would have taken out two ribs. And I always have believed, brother, if God had thought that a woman needed two men, he'd have made another Adam right there on the spot. But he said one woman and one man for a life. I hope it. If some of these TV stars and some of these movie stars had to give up a rib every time they get married, some of them would be down to backbone.
day of compromise. How was it in the days of Noah? The only place you can find out how it was in the days of Noah is to read Genesis chapter 4, 5, and 6. And I'm not going to read all of that, but I tell you, if you go home, I tell you, just read and see, brother, how it was in the days of Noah. You can find it all in those chapters. There were seven characteristics of Noah's day, which closely correspond to our own uh, day. Even a fool utterly is able to see it. And it proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is nearer than most of the world thinks. Until recently, higher criticism poured contempt upon uh, and scoured of uh, scorn, I tell you, upon the fact that there was a flood. And that there was ever an ark, or there was ever such a man as Adam. But I'm going to tell you, archaeology has proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was a universal, that is, a worldwide flood. And there is no question, but I tell you, about what the Bible says about the flood and Noah. Noah was a great man. He is one of the greatest men that ever lived. He was a great character. And I tell you, when I think about Noah, I say no man, no preacher ever preached under more difficult circumstances and had more to discourage him than did Noah. Now you say, preacher, what is the first thing, what is the first characteristic that we see in Noah's day? All of these, there are two words that I'm going to use in each one of them. And the first word begins with an S, and the second word begins with a D. So if you mark them down in the flyleaf of your Bible or your margin, or margin of your Bible, you can remember them long after I have brought this message, even if you don't get the, the tape. The first is the spiritual decline. In the days of Noah, that was a tremendous spiritual decline. But a couch, the faith that Adam had was just about gone. The blood sacrifice that Abel offered was no longer to be had. Another gospel, like Cain's gospel, was known and practiced and was sweeping the land. The household of faith had been reduced to eight souls. I have every reason to believe that there are many wonderful Christians in this house. But what if in all of North Carolina there wasn't but eight people that were saved? Would that frighten you? How many of you, now, now if you, if, 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 don't put up your hand to please me, but how many of you know somebody that you have known in your past that seemingly, brother, I tell you, had a real testimony for God. And brother, they were at church. They attended the services. They sang in the choir. Maybe some of them were deacons. They were tithers. But now they can't be found. And if you do find them, where are they on Sunday? They're out at the lake. Are they on the golf course? God blessed them and they begin to make money and they turned away from the simple gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They got up in the world and they no longer want to associate with a humble church. There, was, there is a falling away, a spiritual decline. You know, no longer do we find churches that are bubbling over with the Spirit of God. 
secularism controlled the arts and the scientists, a science of that day in education. Cultism and demonism was rampant. The days in which we live are similar. The Bible is banned from our schools. Subversive books are taught in our classrooms. Humanism is everywhere. God is out. And tonight there are acknowledged 50,000 witches in America. I want to ask you something. Please. Would you have ever thought you'd have ever lived long enough to have heard of a church called the First Church of Satan? Not a Baptist, not a Methodist, not a Presbyterian, but a Satan church where they pray every morning, every Sunday morning, Our Father who art in hell. Now I want to ask you a question. I believe I'm preaching the same thinking, intelligent people. Whether you're a saint or a sinner, whether you're on fire for God or whether you're in a backsliding condition, would you have ever thought we'd ever live long enough in this country to have had a church where they, where they have to... How many of you in this room right now, how many of you in this room would get up and walk out right now if you knew that I was homosexual? How many of you get up and walk out of here if you thought I had another woman outside of my wife on the screen? Can you imagine a group of people sitting there? My wife and I heard on a talk show in Orlando, the Orlando Cosmopolitan Metropolitan Church, so-called. I said it with apologies to the word church. And the pastor was on with a fine fundamental Baptist preacher in Orlando in a night talk show for two hours. And he said, I've had three love affairs since I became the pastor of this church. Now the Bible says, as they were in the days of Noah, so shall they be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Is there a spiritual decline? Everybody in this house will say, Brother Harold, you certainly prove the first point. If you, if you say that, say amen. Yes. Number two. Write down shameless depravity. Shameless depravity. D-E-P-R-A-D-I-T-Y. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, do you agree with me that there is great wickedness in the earth tonight? Does it seem to you that the imagination of men today is only evil? As I look here in the Word of God, the Bible says that the marriage law to be defied. In Genesis 6-2, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Land, if you remember, I it was the seventh in descent from Adam, in the godless line of Cain, and he introduced polygamy, I tell you, to the human society and the human family. The Andalusian society was one which was wrong on the ERA. 
In Genesis chapter 5, all you have to do is just look in your own Bible, take a note of this, and read it later. In Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 through 32, we find a list of ten names of, of Adam and of his descendants through sex. This was the godly line. It is worth noting that no women were listed in that line. But I want you to make a note of Genesis chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, and this is a record of the descendants of Cain. And of the twelve names given, there are names of women. Now hold it a minute. No man has ever walked on the face of this earth that has greater respect for women than the preacher that's speaking to you now. I was brought up by a dead that said, Hell, you treat every woman. If she is an aged woman, like you'd want somebody to treat your grandmother. If she is the age of your mother, treat her like you'd want somebody to treat your mother. You treat every woman like you'd want somebody to treat your three sisters. And when you get married, you treat every married lady like you want some man to treat your wife. And then if you ever have a daughter, you treat her like you want somebody to treat your daughter. And if you ever have a granddaughter, treat her like you like, treat that girl like you want somebody to treat your granddaughter. I'm standing on this platform and get by with it and say I love every lady here. Every last one of them. And I do. But there is no woman in this house that I'd like to take away from her husband. I never had but one sweetheart. That's the woman that's my wife. I met her 61 years ago when I was 11. And before I ever spoke to her, before I ever knew her name, I said, that's the girl I'm going to marry when I get to be a man. I'm a determined cuss. And I kept on. I had a lot of competition, but I just kept at it. You see, fellas, the thing to do is to find one when they're young, raise them like you want them, and by the way, I tell you, it didn't matter. Then I tell you, if you don't get what you thought you were getting, you, made, you were the one that made the mistake. So I raised Murdy. <laughs> I I never forget to, you know, Brother Dean, she, I, I, was, I was the first associate of a Negro gray boy in a grocery store. But they were letting me, they, uh, although I was just 11 years old, they were letting me wait on customers. And so she and her sister, they had just moved to town that day. I knew everybody that was in our old town, but they just moved that, that day. And she and her sister came to the grocery, to, uh, the grocery store to buy some groceries. I don't remember what else they wanted, but I remember she said, I want a nickel truck of candy. We had a big old long candy counter, longer than from here over there, one of those big old round ones like that. We had boxes of candy there, every kind you can imagine. She said, I want a nickel truck of candy. I got a pet sack. I just went right down there getting a handful of this, putting a handful of that. She said, all I want is a nickel truck of candy. I said, that's all you're getting, lady. We got a sale on. And I, I tell you, it didn't just happen yesterday. I handed that big old sack of candy over to my over to Murray. She is eleven. I was eleven. 
I want to tell you, I made a sweet impression on her. But I sure did make a sour impression on the manager. I was going to work every morning at 5.30, getting off at 10 o'clock, and it paid me 60 cents a day. My salary was $3.60 a week. Six days. He called me back there as soon as she walked out the door. He said, how much came did that little girl buy? I said, a nickel's what? He said, how much did you give her? I said, a pet sack full. He said, you know how much that's going to cost you? I said, no, sir. He said, everything you make this week. Saturday night, he wouldn't pay me a dime. Took me three dollars and sixty cents. I tell him the first week I met her, she got everything I made and didn't get it ever since. And David, where's their opinion? So you see the respect I have for ladies. Ms. Chambers, I respect you as a dear and beloved friend. I respect you as a fine, wonderful young lady. And if every woman would stop giving to the radio Bible hours, we'd be in worse shape than we are. I'd have to go off the air. No way I could make it. So I appreciate ladies. But I hate the ERA. I believe it's of the devil. I believe it came from Russia. And I'd hate to be married to one of them. Ninety-nine and nine-tenths percent of all of the women in these charismatic churches that speak in tongues, their husband is nothing but a little, just a little yes, yes, yes. She wears the britches and she's the dictator. And if you really believe the Bible, won't you keep your mouth shut in the church? Even if there was a gift of tongues, the Bible says for you women not to use it. And if every woman would stop there, all of our charismatic churches, but I tell you, if they'd stop using it, 99.9% of them would stop this coming Sunday. Now we see the rise of the woman. She takes over, and all hell breaks loose. The most beautiful thing that God ever made, and the most wonderful thing that God ever made, was a woman. I see guys, you know, brother, walking around horses. Looking at them, oh, isn't that a beauty? I don't see nothing pretty about a four-legged animal. I see him walking around town. I didn't see him at the fair, brother, but he's an old butcher of pigs, brother. I walked around. Isn't he a beauty? God never made a flower. God never made anything, but I could as pretty as a woman. And I hope I'll never lose my vision and my appraisal of a woman. I see I've seen women in many, many, many nations of the earth. And you know, the most beautiful thing that God ever made is a woman. 
But she's got to be a godly woman. And the ugliest thing, but I tell you, in the world, I tell you, you'll ever see, is a mean woman. I'd rather have a dozen men after me. I'd rather have, why, well, bless God, all the lights. Your brother, I tell you, from the 400 prophets of the Baal and the 450 prophets of the Grove, 850 false prophets, he said, get your head over that chopping block. And brother, I tell you, he stood there, brother, I tell you, with his sword and chopped off every one of their heads. But old Jezebel said, by this time tomorrow, I'm going to have your head. He said, excuse me. And he started running. And he ran and ran, got into a juniper bush. He said, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, let thy servant die. There he was praying to die, and God never needed to have it in his records. He's going to let him die. God, at that very time, was building the chair to send that. He's down there praying to die. Because a woman is that. Why, he didn't want to die. All he had to do was just got up and gone down to Jezreel, and old Jezebel was accommodated. She'd have sent him on to his ancestors. <laughs> now I tell you when a woman gets after you better make cracks Mrs. Potiphar brother I tell you laid her hand upon Joseph and he had to strip out of his coat to get away from he left his coat in her hand in her bedroom but he went out with his character. And he ran. He spent months and years in jail because of it. I've been by the Dexter many times down in that old Egyptian jail. He said, God, God, I was brought up by a dad and by a mother to teach me that I should not take another man's wife. And Lord, why, why am I here in this prison? All the time, God is getting ready to make him the prime minister of Egypt. <laughs> I tell you, he was down there in Ferio's College, brother, getting a degree. I tell you, brother, to become the prime minister of Egypt. Hallelujah. Now, there's nobody in the world that can think as many mean things as a woman. If they ever start smoking, they can smoke more cigarettes than a man. If they ever start dancing, they dance more than a man. If they ever start cussing, they now cuss any sailor that you ever heard in your life. I tell you, they, they tell more dirty jokes, more filthy jokes. I tell you, they, they, they are the meanest thing this side of hell. They're in a rattlesnake, brother, in Oklahoma. It's mean as a mean woman. One man, when I said that one night, said I'd have said amen if my wife hadn't been sitting by me. <laughs> I, I, I get it, fellas. Did y'all ever see that picture? It's a composite of something somebody just made it up in this office looking character you ever saw in your life of a woman. And I had that enlarged and put in my study. These fellas come in talking about their wives, what a hard time they're having with them. And I'd take them over and pull that door open. I had it in the closet door and I'd say, look what this old boy's got.
They say, preacher, he is in bad shape, isn't he? I said, now you get out of here and appreciate what you've got. But I tell you, we're living in a day when there are lewd photos, public nudity. Why, some of you women, brother, I tell you, you'd have been arrested 35, 40 years ago if you'd gone down the street in the garb you're wearing out to the grocery store. You'd have been arrested for indecent exposure. But I tell you, some of you men, just as bad. You put on a little pair of shorts, get out there, brother, cut your grass, and you're so hairy, you look like an ape. Why, if I had my shotgun going down the street and I missed in Africa, I'd shoot you. X-rated pictures. Can you imagine a sane man, a husband, taking his wife to an X-rated movie? I can't, I can't conceive of that. Permissiveness? Have you heard of a exchange club? Have you heard of a key club? That's where seven couples get together on a weekend, put all of their house keys in one little container, pass them around, and a woman picks out one of those keys, blindfolded, and then, brother, I tell you, she spends that night and that weekend in the house with that man, and his his wife is with another man. One lady said to me, Brother Harold, I have three children, and I do not know who the father of either one of them is. Can you imagine such a thing? Out in California right now, they're building apartment houses, and but they've got one big living room, one big kitchen, and then seven bedrooms. And every night, brother, I tell you, a man sleeps with a different woman. Can you imagine such hell? That's in America, brother. That's the time that God says we'd be facing. i got to hurry on. My time's up right now, and I'm just stuck. The third, brother, I tell you, is a social dilemma. We have the spiritual decline. Do you agree with me that we are in a state of shameless depravity? Do you agree? If you do, say amen. amen. All right, the third thing I want you to bring is social dilemma. Tremendous increase in crime, Genesis chapter 6. Enormous increase in the population of growth. Uh, the crime rate in this countryside. I was simply amazed today. As Brother Childers, riding along with me, was giving me some figures on the do- on the drunk drivers that are arrested in North Carolina already this year. Did you tell me that already this year there have been 35,000 drunk drivers arrested already this year? Sir? Through August. Yes, sir. Through August, 35,000 drunk drivers. If I'm, if I'm, if I don't remember, I didn't take down the notes, so just, you just gave it to me once. Did you tell me that on Friday night and Saturday night and Sunday night, one, an average of one out of every ten drivers is drunk? Did 
Did you tell me this afternoon that it's becoming alarming at the alcoholism among our junior and high school students? You know how long it takes a junior boy or an, a, 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 a you, you know how long it takes a teenager to become an alcoholic? Six months. The chemical structure of their body is so structured, or they become an alcoholic in six months. Let me tell you something, Dad, Mother. If you've got a teenage boy or a teenage girl, you better do your dead level best to keep that boy and that girl under the sound of good preaching. Your daughter's going to come home pregnant one of these days, as sure as my name is J. Harold Smith. I tell you, she's coming home and marrying a man of another race. Your son, one of these days, is going to come home leery-eyed and staring in the space. I got a bug in my ear. Just about shooting him there, those boys have me in my mouth. I tell you, I never get to preaching like I'm preaching tonight, but what the devil don't put something on me, like a bug in my ear, or I let a bug fly in my mouth. But I still preach. Lamech murdered two young men. Lamech, I tell you, was the first Elvis Presley. He was the first John Lennon. We need to realize the place we're in. Never has there been a population explosion like we're having now. Every day since we met here last night, 250,000 little babies have been born in the world. Every year we're growing at the rate of 100 million. That's more than the combined population of France, Denmark, Finland, Norway, and Sweden. Every form of birth control, I tell you, has been tried. Abortion, we're killing at the rate of a million five hundred thousand little innocent babies in America, and ten million little babies have been killed that we have the record of since the ruling of the Supreme Court that it was legal. Sex is taught in our schools, even from the time little children are in the kindergarten, right on through. All has failed. Crime, mental sickness, poverty, welfare, suicide, stress, hostility, drug addiction, such as we have never known. All of this, I tell you, is indicative of the days of Noah. Now put down strong delusion. The Bible says in the Noah's day, they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. Matthew 24, 39. There are many things that the people in Noah's day knew. They prided themselves on their technology. Their mechanics and industrial abilities and arts were terrific. Their culture was, I tell you, unequal. Their craftsmanship, I tell you, was the best. Their entertainment, I tell you, which we have nothing today that would equal 
They had eaten of the tree of knowledge, and they were rich and increased with goods and had need of nothing. They did not know the most important thing in life. How they had a great preacher, Reverend Noah. Noah. How they were unable to discern spiritual truths. They remained blinded to the judgment that was coming. Their strong delusion was materialism. They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the door of the ark was shut. Think of all of the communism. Think of all the liberalism. Think of all the humanism. Think of all the liberalism and modernism in our day. I tell you, all of this, I tell you, is indicative of the days of Noah. Don't be alarmed. We are living in a day when men have their faith in the social security program instead of the Savior. We are living in a day when men are ever learning and never able to come to the truth. We are living in a day when men and women are seeking to speak in tongues when we ought to be seeking to save the, when we ought to be seeking to save the throngs. We are living in days when people are spiritually blind and intentionally ignorant of the things of God. Number five is scientific development. Scientific development. Cain taught men to settle in communities. Jabel taught men agriculture, a pair of cattle. He was the first farmer and the first rancher. Jubal introduced music and art. Tubal Cain taught men industry and mechanical arts and armed men with weapons. The building of the ark was a tremendous undertaking. God drew the blueprints, gave the order. Men mocked and said if that boat, if water could ever be gotten to it, it would sink. But our great battleships today are built on the same design with the same dimensions as was the ark. You can never improve, but I tell you, upon the dimensions of the ark, because the great architect that built the world gave the design of the ark. So, but I tell you, they had great technical de uh, development in that day. Technology was tremendous. Scientific development. Who would have thought, brother, brother, brother Dexter, when you and I started preaching, me 50 years ago, you 47 years ago, we were young preachers together. Who would have ever thought, brother, we'd ever had a man by the name of Neil Armstrong to walk on the moon? I read an article this last week, brother, where he said that about 30% of the people in America still do not believe that Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. Well, whether you believe it or not, he did. Who would ever believe, but I tell you, we could have set up a thing that we call a shuttle and sing it up from down in Florida. Let that thing circle the earth at 18,000 miles per hour plus. Bring it back right on the split second and land it closer than the length of this tabernacle from where they intended to bring it now. Who would ever thought that we'd have such a thing as a computer? The preacher asked me today to give him a report. Do you have that little report I gave you this now? The preacher asked me to give him a report of the offerings that we have received over the Kannapolis station this year. I called on the telephone, and in less, 
in less than one minute, my secretary was reading to me this report. I not only have that report, but I have on my desk every day the name of every person that sent an offering from Canapolis. The chambers, every time you send a gift, I get that report as soon as that is, and, and we, we process our mail every day in that office. And the Internal Revenue said the other day that we have the greatest control over our cash flow of any religious organization they have ever examined. I'm not a bit embarrassed to sit here and take in front of a man that's known me all, practically all of my life for the next year. Tell you I've never gone to a Bible meeting with the thought of the offering. I have never gone on the radio trying to get people to send money. I just ask God day by day what is the need. And every day I have prayed on my, on, on my every radio station we're on. I pray with every dollar that came in that day and with every individual. And in less than a minute, but indeed, if I wanted to know how much you'd given to the Radio Bible Hour in the last five years, I'd punch a little button, your name, and come up there, and I'll kick you. When we get ready to mail out our statement, all of our donors for the year for their tax purposes, I just smash this little button on this one, that one, and Bobby can, here it goes. Right out there. And we have not yet had one single person to report back that we're in error. So I call. Here it is. I pay $325 every month for that time. January, we received $59. Now I pay $325 down here to the station. That don't include the postage. That don't include all of the tapes. I pay $5 a piece for those tapes. Not only that, but I tell you, we have all of the production. I have two engineers. I have two engineers in my office that work 40 hours a week, making nothing but tapes and, and recording sermons and duplicates. Now that doesn't include any of that. No rent, no tax, nothing else. I hear this is just what we receive. $59. February, $103. March, $300. April, $321. May, $95. June, $172. July, I was in a meeting, not far from here, and I carried home $400 that people handed me and gave me for this broadcast, and we, that made it up to $543. We actually had $143 sitting in the mail. August, $252. Making a total of $1,847, and we paid them $2,600, making a a minus of $753. Yet there are people sitting right here in this, in this tabernacle. You've heard me. You'd say, oh, he's after us on us. Yet I tell you, we spent $753 to try to preach to you just this year. And then I tell you, I don't know how much we've lost in the years, sister, that we've been on that stage. This year, our board of directors wanted to cut it off. I said, please give me one more year. Let me dig about it one more year. I hate to give up a station. I hate to cut off a group. 
Maybe somebody will never hear the gospel. Never be saved. So, I say that this scientific development that we have, I sit there and record, send it all over the world. In our studio, they make, we, we, we have our TV programs. The camera comes in, and that's sent out all over the world. Technology, scientific development. It was true in that day. Is it true today? Do you admit, brother, that it is? How many of you work in a textile plant? How many of you work in a weave room? Three weeks ago, I was in Texas, South Carolina, in a citywide revival in the high school gymnasium. One of the men there, one of the officials there at the mill said, How long has it been since you've been in a cotton mill? I said, It's been several years. He said, Would you like to see one of the latest modern looms? I said, I certainly would. I went in, that, in there, and back when I used to work in a weave room, I did old, that, old, that, old, that old shuttle back and forth. I went in there, and he said, This loom is making 253 picks. Per minute. That means it's going back and forth across that 253 times a minute. And I couldn't see it to save my life as going so fast. And that loom that I could have was making more clock on that one loom. We used to make but on many looms. You know, the Bible says in the end of the age there will be no hire for man nor beast. Well, it's already arrived at the beast. You know, no man tries to raise a, a living, make a living now with mules, horses. We only have horses for entertainment. And day after day, brother, I tell you, a machine is coming along to cut you out of a job. And by the end of the time, there'll be no hire for man. Think of it. Then I tell you the sixth thing, and I'll just say a word about it. There was some devotion. Some devotion. A little bit. Some devotion. Noah, his wife, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and their wives, eight souls, were the only ones that ever prayed. They were the only ones that ever had a devotional. They were the only ones that had a family order. They were the only ones, but I tell you, that served God. I can take a survey right here tonight, near Deacons, right here in this house, and don't have a family altar. I can take a survey right here tonight, and some of you, dear saints of God, never ask for blessing. You just gobble up your food without asking the blessing. But I killed us today down in that restaurant before we ever ate a bite. He said, let's have a my wife and I were way down in Monterey, Old Mexico. And we were driving back to the United States, and it was about 12, and we saw this little restaurant on the side of the road. And she said, I am just starving to death. I said, well, I've never felt more like eating my life, but I said, both of us may die from food poison if we eat in that junk. So we went in, and you know in those Mexican restaurants, brother, you, can, you all know what I'm talking about when I talk about a lightning bug? You know these little, little bugs that flash on? 
Well, you could, you could just take eight or ten of those and mash off their rear, and brother, I could have hang them up, and you'd have as much lighting as you had in those restaurants. Somebody said, why do they have such poor lighting in those Mexican restaurants? I said, I said, sir, you won't see those cockroaches you eat. So we went in, we sat down at the table, and not knowing there was a couple in the back of the urine space, he said to his wife, he said, you know, I believe that's J. Harold Smith and Mrs. Smith that just came in. She said, well, they wouldn't be a way off down here in old Mexico like this. He said, well, I tell you what, let's just wait and see if he has the blessing. So when they brought out that cabrito, that billy goat, it's awfully hard, but I got my head down. I said, Lord, I thank you for this. Lord, please don't charge me with the hypocrisy. The best I can, I need it. And when I raised my head, this man was standing. He said, you're Jay Hell Smith, aren't you? I said, yes, sir. He told me where he'd met me at a revival meeting back here in the States. Well, he and his wife went on out. My wife and I finished eating. Sister Chambers, we got up and went up there to pay the bill, and the lady up there said, your bill's been paid. I said, by whom? I said, by that other couple, is it? So don't tell me it don't pay to ask the blessing. I got a free meal out of it. So there was some devotion. In spite of the devil, there are still some saints. I want to tell you there are still some preachers that haven't bowed their knee to bail. There are still some godly deacons, good Sunday school teachers, and godly saints. I felt the Spirit of the Lord tonight in this scene. I felt all this week these people up here singing while they're us. I'd be a few hypocrites, but the majority of them love the Lord. We still have some. I give it all the honor for God. Amen? Then last of all, the seventh thing. Do you have them down? you want to review them? Number one was spiritual decline. Number two, shameless depravity. Number three, social dilemma. D-E-L-E-M-A. Number four, strange delusion. Number five, scientific development. Number six, some devotion. And then last of all, number seven, sudden destruction. Sudden death. Preacher, the Bible says right here, the flood came and took them all away. Now that's the only thing that hadn't been fulfilled. Do you agree with this, Brother Dexter? Is this destruction going to be sudden? The last time God destroyed this earth was with a flood of waters. But he said, in order that you may know that I'll never destroy it with another flood of waters, I'll put the rainbow up there. 
Every time there's a rainstorm and you see that rainbow, that's the promise of God. God put that rainbow up there. But he said, the next time, I'm going to destroy. It's going to be by what? Fire. I want to ask you one of these days, you that reject the Lord Jesus, you that have no use for Christ, and you that despise the gospel of Jesus Christ, what are you going to do one of these days when you raise your head and you see coming across you under a great ball of fire? I tell you, that thing is rolling like a big snowball. You start running. But I tell you, I don't care whether you're in your automobile, or an airplane, or whatnot. It's going to overtake you. The Bible says, Be ye also ready. For in such a day, such, such a time as you know not, such an hour, the Son of Man comes. I want to ask you just one question. I don't care who you are, man or woman, boy or girl, rich or poor, good or bad, I want to ask you, are you ready for the coming of Jesus Christ tonight? It is now 9.30. If you knew and I knew somewhere or another you could be here by 10, would you be ready? You say, preacher, i got a few little things I want to straighten out. Well, when is the best time to do it? Now, I want everybody in this house to bow your head. I want everybody in this house to close your eyes for just a moment. I want you to forget about your trip home. I want you to forget about your problems you've got. I want you to forget about everything else, and I want you to ask yourself one simple question. Am I ready? Don't think about your husband. Don't think about your wife. Don't think about your children. Don't think about your neighbor. You say, Lord, am I ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? I believe that I have proven out of the Bible the statement of the Lord, when he said, as it was, so shall it be. I believe the the shadow of a doubt, I have proven tonight with these seven things, that we are living in the same conditions that Noah had. Now, ask yourself, am I ready? Am I ready right now? Would I be ready for the sounding of that trumpet? Does it bring fear to my heart to think that the Lord may come tonight? Or does it rejoice my heart? How many of you down deep in your heart can say, Come, Lord Jesus. Oh, come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. The last prayer in the Bible is, Come, Lord Jesus. The last promise in the Bible is, Behold, I come how? Quickly. Now with every head bowed, every eye closed. How many would say, Brother Harold, I'm saved and I know it. Nobody could ever make me doubt it. But Brother Smith, honestly, if the Lord were to come and find me in the condition I'm in right now, I'd meet him with shame. I couldn't meet him with a shout. Pray for me, preacher. I don't want you to... Say a word out loud. I just want you to raise your hand if you want me to pray for you. 
Just slip up that hand if you say, Preacher, I'm ready, I'm saved. But if the Lord were to come, there are a few things that I'd have to confess that I, I'd be ashamed of. Raise your hand. Again, maybe I said it's not that you've committed adultery and got drunk. Or maybe I said it's because you don't have a family altar, because you don't read the Bible, because you don't pray, because you don't try to win people to Jesus Christ, because you don't win me for him, because you're slacking your attendance at the house of God. You just go occasionally, you lay out at church, you sleep on Sunday, or you, or you do something else. Now, I know a lot of people have to work on Sunday. I'm not talking about you. But I'm talking about people that just don't want to, and you have no spiritual hunger. And if you don't have any spiritual thirst, you'll never be filled. How many will say, preacher, it's not necessarily the things I, I, I do, it's the things I don't do that bothers me tonight. Pray for me. Slip up your hand. Just raise that hand. There we are. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. How many more? Thank you, thank you. How many more? Thank you. You may put your hands down as soon as you raise Anybody else? Thank you. Is there anybody here tonight that say, preacher, I don't even make a profession of faith. I know I'm a sinner. I'm not proud of it. I'm not bragging about it. But Brother Harold, I'm just a plain, downright, old gutter sinner. I'm just a sinner. And Brother Smith, I know if Jesus were to come tonight, I'd be left. I'd have to go into those awful things you talked about. And Brother Smith, I want you to pray for me. Would you just manifest it enough just to raise your hand? Don't speak a word. If you just say, Preacher, I've got enough interest in my soul to at least raise my hand. Would you do it? Just raise your hand. Anybody will say, God bless you, dear man. Anybody else will say, Preacher, I am concerned enough about my soul to raise my hand. Put up that hand. Would you do it? Anybody else? All right. I want all of you that raised your hand here a moment ago. Said, Preacher, I'm saved. I'm a born-again believer. But Brother Harold, if the Lord were to come to me, I honestly would meet him with shame. I'd meet him, but I'd meet him with shame. If you put up your hand, I want you to look up here at me just a minute. Everybody else keep your head bowed. You just look up here at me just a minute.